Well, that's a waste of a coffee mug. My neighbor just had a uh, ring, rang the doorbell and he needed some aluminum foil and I answered the door and I'm only dressed from the top up. <laughs> like, I, I, barefoot jeans and like a tie. Can I just poke out my mind's eye now? Thank you. Welcome to the Johnny Random Show. Today is education part two. Um, we did a very long discussion um, previous to this, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it got a lot of really positive feedback, um, and we just weren't done with the topic, so we wanted to bring some things back. Um, so we brought in some new guests this time, um, as well as a few of the ones that were on the previous episodes. So um, uh, let's see, Rachel is first time on the channel um officially on the channel first time officially and uh so that is my sister here so um so we're gonna uh talk about the first question that i had um on here um that we wanted to bring up and discuss for this one was school funding and districting and it was something that was sitting on the back of my mind that uh, i meant to bring up in the last episode and i think out of and the two whole two and a half hours um that we talked it <laughs> never came up um so um, I had an idea, and it was based on something that uh, I think there was a New York Times article that was written that was talking about why are uh, why are public schools so bad in some places, and then across the street they're so good, or in a different neighborhood that's in the same city. Why does that happen? And um, and, and it was a part of a larger context of why are um, Democrat-run cities so bad, but but. The, it got into like gerrymandering, which happens in in every city uh, across the country, and <clears throat> basically the thing that that I took away from that was if you were to take instead of having these dis, uh, districts all gerrymandered and cut out, and then the funding for like the, these because they they include neighborhoods that are are wealthy and cut out these other ones you know that are not as well connected. And then they don't have money for their schools and their supplies and things, whereas across the street or on the other side of town, they have an abundance of supplies and, and um, teachers are paid better in that district and you're in the same city. And that shouldn't happen. I don't think it should happen. And I think that a solution that I, um, and not I just came up with, has been talked about, um, but that I support is um, for like a county. So a county, all the money in the county is put into it. And then these districts are subdivided, but the funding it comes from is equally divided. So it doesn't matter where you are in the county, everybody's district gets an equal amount of money from it. So that is a solution. And uh, I'm wondering if you guys have heard of that and what you thought of that um, as an idea, or do you think that there's any drawbacks to that idea? Um, Matthew. <laughs> well, I would say that it seems to me that giving everybody the same amount of funding as far as like, um, I'm assuming what you mean is per student, same amount of money per student, because obviously a small county with few students shouldn't be having the same amount of money as the, the large ones. But giving them all the same amount of money may or may not be um, optimal. Um, just like off the top of my head, the sometimes the the needs are, are greater in one area than they are in another, and that would be um, treating. <laughs> I think it was Aristotle who said that treating everyone the same is sometimes injustice. Um, he said something along the line. At any rate, I'll have to look it up. But you know, it's it's one of those things where you if you treat everything as if it is the same when they're not, 
then it's uh, more of a problem. So I would just caution against that. I don't know the full extent of the, the idea, and I'm kind of excited about it in general. Um, I can see where uh, well executed, it could be pretty good. Yeah, and something maybe at least better than a current situation, which is uh, pitiful at best. Um, Paul, right. go to you on that, and then if you have anything else to add, throw so, it in. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to start with this. Every time I'm not on an episode and I go back and listen, I'm really frustrated that there's not a libertarian on this podcast. Um, <laughs> You're the only one. Yes. So um, <laughs> government is the worst solution to most, just about to every problem we can come up with. Um, and part of the problem with government being involved in education is good teachers, good administrators, students, and parents become pawns for politicians' um, petty little power grabs. You can say, we need better elites. I'm going to ask you, why do we need elites to begin with? We need better politicians. We need statesmen. Why? Um, they might fix something for a few minutes, um, and then historically, it breaks all over again. Um, education is the primary response, primarily is the responsibility of the parents. Um, and there's a million different ways you can have educated children without the state involved. Um, there's two of us here that are homeschool parents. And um, our tax dollars go to pay for local education and we've a service that we don't use and we have to come up with our own money for educating our children outside of the system. I've, I've heard of or have seen or am involved in a co-op of one sort or another that has, that has ways for parents to band together and teach each other's kids. Um, and some parents aren't involved in the teaching in that program. Maybe they're involved in the administration or maybe they just pay a fee for their kid to be in whatever class it is. Um, my wife and I are not, you know, we're not particularly skilled or gifted in hard sciences. So we were able to find a, um, a co-op or tutorial that we could put our boys through to meet the state hard science requirements. Um, they tend to be more musical and we've been involved in a homeschool music program um, that the boys have excelled in. Um, you know, there's, um, yeah, there's a variety of ways that parents can pull together their interests, skill set, and resources and teach without having um, the government come in and say, well, this is what you have to do. This is how you do it and yada, yada, yada. Sure. And uh, the only thing I would say to that before we go to Rebecca here is um, I, I, I think that what you're saying is part of the, the reason why, you know, public school education can be a, a part of a solution or the solution is, you know, specialization, right? You said that you're, you're not particularly, I'm getting attacked by fly, um, is being, you know, you're, you weren't good at the hard sciences or didn't particularly feel like that was something that you wanted to teach. So you were able to find somebody that could do that for you. 
Um, whereas there's people that basically, you know, I don't have my time is better spent at a job and having my kids learn educated by someone else that, you know, several different teachers that each one of them are able to add some value to the situation. And I totally understand, you know, right. that, you know, but it's, it, it's, it's a similar concept and, and it's, um, in, in effect, it's, it's using the free market, so to speak, to maximize each, uh, what is the word that we, we talk about a lot on this, uh, episode. It's, uh, where you're, um, breaking down what, <laughs> like, like on the word, I need to just write this word down and keep it on the desk with me. Um, <laughs> well, basically your specialization of labor, something on that. Yeah. What something labor, something labor. Yeah. Economizing labor. I'm not sure. Oh. Anyway, division, division, division of, of labor. Yes, the division of labor where each pay, uh, parent, uh, I mean, each, uh, each aspect of their education is tackled, you know, and so it, right. it can be efficient. So that's sort of a market, you know, version and of, of, of what you're talking about and what you were able to do. So, but anyway, Rebecca, your, your thoughts on this districting and, uh, you know, any, any other thoughts? Um, I actually think you should go to Rachel maybe next. She looked like maybe she was, uh, <laughs> had a thought there and I just lost my thoughts. So. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Go ahead. Rachel. <laughs> um, I think that I agree and disagree with what Paul was saying there. Um, just kind of to respond to that. Um, because yeah, I'm the other homeschool parent. Um, <laughs> and I totally love the freedom that we have with homeschooling to really tweak and, and specialize, you know, our kids' education to what their needs are, what their desires are, you know, all of that. But at the same time, um, saying, you know, <laughs> like, I would love to have the government less a part of education um, and a lot more freedom there. But at the same time, I don't know what it would look like to take education completely away from the government and to not have that, you know, I'm kind of going... If you, if you sit here and you go, you know, this is the ideal, but at the same time you have, you know, for homeschoolers, these are the people who are deeply invested in their ch children's education, who are willing to sacrifice for it and to, you know, really go after that. But you have a lot of kids that don't have that. They don't have those parents that are invested in their education that way and unless you completely change that um you know i i don't know how you would be able to just still give those kids what they need um by taking away government funding from education and anytime that you have funding, you know, you're going to have those regulations and stuff that just come along with that. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel like 
there is a a path to that that's easily well i just don't see a path mm-hmm. to get yeah. there from where we are currently in the us it's like that's the dream that's the goal you know especially knowing the freedoms that you know that i do have um as a homeschooling parent i would love if everybody could have that um but i don't know how to get there mm-hmm. so you know um the one thing that i would say that i would love to have is if we didn't have so much of the politics in education that are kind of like i feel like a lot of the the negativity that you have towards education right now where you have you know the teachers that are all burned out and the parents who are all mad at the teachers and you know all of this stuff it's all being fed by the political sides where you have um you know and i don't i don't know if we're even at that point in this but um you've got all of these issues that were being fed by the media that are very very political that are meant to drive an agenda on the right and the left that are creating division and that are highlighting all the negativity so that you do have things like you know um Matt you and dad in the last episode you know saying well we've just got you know idiot factories and all this you know all the negatives and stuff whereas um that's that's the mindset that you have in a lot of people but it's not helpful it's not helpful for our kids it doesn't move us forward um and it doesn't bring us together to be sitting here thinking about how you know how many bad things are going on and and you know even the the don't say gay bill that right now is you know um <laughs> obviously nobody is even understanding what it actually means on one side it doesn't seem like and then the other side it's just like you know well they all want to indoctrinate our children and all of this and it's like is there not some way that we can actually talk together with people with honor and dignity and come together as the country for our kids yeah um, i really like that and that was a whole lot of thoughts kind of oh no, it's good this is the johnny random show because <laughs> you know I, I i don't always expect you know i have three questions written down and i you know i expect this to go all sorts of places which is good um rebecca did you have anything to add before i catch your thoughts yeah i i guess my question is for paul of what does like what is your ideal schooling situation look like are you are you thinking like homeschooling is what everyone should be doing or maybe kids shouldn't have to go to school if their parents don't care or like and yeah, I know I'm using broad strokes to get a response, but I'm, I'm just curious, like what, <laughs> what, how would you go about achieving what you outlined? Um, so I would privatize education. Okay. Um, there would be no national oversight, 
no state oversight, no politician oversight. Right. Um, <clears throat> that frees up parents to decide what method of edu what education model is best for their kids. Some of them will homeschool. Some of them will band together into co-ops. Um, you will find um, some people that will start a private school um, as a business and offer that service for a fee to whoever wants that service. Um, and some of those schools will build in scholarship funding. Um, some of those schools won't. Um, and those are just the um, those are just the possibilities coming off the top of my head. You could also have a variety of apprenticeships, um, which I know that's going to be a, a topic here in just a bit. Um, so, the, and those are just the, the the models that come to my mind at the moment. But as diverse as the free market is, um, you're going to have as many diverse ideas on how to educate and what education looks like for your kids. Um, one of my favorite uh, libertarians is a guy named Spike Cohen. And in reference to the don't say gay bill, um, his comment was, if we actually deregulated education, if we actually took the government, all of it out of education, and we actually had real school choice, this don't say gay bill would be an issue because parents would actually choose what institutions they wanted their kids in. Um, and, you know, there are going to be some institutions that will teach um, sexual ethics one way, other institutions will teach it a very different way. Um, and, and you'll have all those options available and then the parents choose. So thinking hypothetically, we're mm -hmm. looking at kind of, this is, is kind of what schooling looked like in the past, right? Yes. So you had yes. those that could afford to go to a school, went to a school. Mm -hmm. Those that could afford to have a nanny had, or a governess, pardon, had a governess. Um, the kids that couldn't afford to go to school, or maybe it was a single parent situation where there just wasn't an option. Those kids didn't go to school. They worked or they apprenticed. Is that kind of what you're, you're looking at? Those are, those are certainly possibilities. Um, there are private schools and I can name at least half a dozen, um, around here where, um, part of their charter requires the school to have a certain percentage of students on scholarship. Um, one school uh, by charter mm -hmm. is, requires that 50% of their students are on some scholarship. So for those that wouldn't be otherwise able to afford this school, uh, they have um, they have bound themselves to, they will have 
at least 50% of their students on some level of scholarship. And that's partial scholarship, full scholarship, just, you know, whatever it is that the family needs for their kids to be in that school. Um, so my biggest, sorry. Will some schools have scholarship programs like that? Yes. Will some schools have scholar, not have scholarship programs? Yes. Will some schools, and, and, and I'm assuming that, you know, there'll be buildings and such. Will some schools um, only allow certain kids in? Yes. Will some schools open their doors wide open? Hey, anybody who wants in, come on in and we'll figure out how to pay for you. Yeah. Um, so the, the marketplace of ideas is massive. And as many people as are out there with kids, there's that many, there's probably that many different ways to educate kids. So my, and that many different ways to pay for it and that many random results. Like, I, I'm not gonna say that I think the education system right now is like running smoothly and like everything's perfect. Like we wouldn't be having this discussion if I felt that right. way. But I, I don't fully disagree with you, but I also feel like that's in a ideal world that I am not very confident having worked in the school system some that is actually the world that we're in like maybe we could get there but i feel like that's a lot of kids that are just falling through the cracks and i know we already have kids falling through the cracks but i feel like that just opens the chasm wider yeah so i have lots of thoughts on that uh first of all part of the you know and i'm not again i'm not saying it's a perfect system like rebecca said i don't think it's a perfect system by any means but the fact that everybody pays in which means everybody needs to pay attention which everybody has to have buy-in everybody is paying attention to what don't say gay bill or whatever is going on in my school district everybody has some level of buy-in which brings us all together this sort of breaking apart and letting you know markets take care of everything you think that we're divided as a country now? You think that we are uh, compartmentalized? That would go on steroids. You think that uh, no, some schools no. are going to say, I don't want black kids in my school. I don't want Asian kids in my school. I don't want the poor kids in my school. I only want to be my kids to be educated around super smart other kids that look exactly like my kids. That's exactly what will happen because, because human nature has always been that way and will always continue to be that way. So I, I, you just look around the world, we've, we've, whenever you have this sort of like capitalistic uh, instinct that just runs amok, then you get people that are left out, like in dramatic ways. And so I'm not saying it's perfect, but what I think that you're saying, or what you're suggesting is while there is some important uh, necessities to competition, there is important, uh, you know, things that need to be talked about that <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't see that as a very viable solution personally uh, for those things that I laid out and you can respond. I'm being attacked by this fly. Whew. So, so here's the difference. So yeah, you're going to have schools that say, we don't want this ethnicity or that ethnicity or this economic level. Those are institutions that I don't want my kids in. And I'll go find an institution that's far more open than that um, if I need an institution. But, but the difference is um, 
right now, you have forced, you have the force of government requiring all those things to happen. And if those things don't happen, the government comes with guns. And so when, when you have at least two different sides and they're all fighting for the control of the situation, who gets the big guns to force their ideas down everybody's throat? You're gonna have a lot more division than if you allow people to freely choose. The force of government creates far more division than an environment where people can freely choose how they want to associate. Well, it goes even deeper than that for me because you're talking about if I say that my kids who and who isn't in here and what is in the curriculum, I don't want my kids learning about XYZ because I think that's socialism or I think that's, you know, racism didn't happen or I want to, I want to glass over the fact that, you know, uh, this and this didn't happen in history and you're, you're, you can wash out parts of history that you just don't like or your community doesn't like, and then you give your kids a world that is not an accurate picture. And that- And has, you already have that. Oh, you already yes. have that. Oh, you're so right. We already have that. But we have public outcry all the time. <laughs> you know, we, have the, we had the CRT debate uh, on this channel, which is an important conversation to yeah. have. And it needs to be had over and over these schools. How are we teaching our kids about certain things? And that needs to be continue. The conversation needs to continue and continue and continue. If you compartmentalize out, these conversations are going to die out because I've already solved it. My, my group just does what it wants to do, what I'm comfortable with. And then you're. But you've already, you but it's already compartmentalized. I'm saying you don't you've have. You've already got. You don't have what? If you, if you give people the situation where. They're not exposed to diversity, so to speak. Then you don't have to have the conversation, which means it's it's just a monopoly of that will, and it it doesn't doesn't come up. And it, and you're what I'm saying is that's not healthy for humanity. I think the the beauty of America is that we have a diverse culture that gets together and can talk about these things. We can make a YouTube channel and talk about these things, and. If we didn't know about it, if we weren't educated, if we were in our own little compartmentalized bubble, then we would never be challenged to think outside the box. And I think we'd be a lot dumber as humanity. We are already forced by, by the threat of force um, to, to be diverse. It's not like we get to choose to be diverse. We're forced to. So when that force happens, of course, people are going to resist. Of course, look, there's, I can name at least three counties right around here where um, the, the CRT um, debate got nasty and um, there were cops called to school board meetings because parents lost their minds. It's already, I mean, th that world you describe that you think is a free market, it already exists in a forced economy. I, um, <clears throat> I'm just saying that some of that, we need to have that conversation and we need to have some sort of consensus as a culture 
And we don't need to have consensus as a culture. We need to have the conversation as a culture, whether we have consensus or not, it needs to be brought up. And I don't think that would happen if we were so compartmentalized, right. you know, which is basically the end result of what I'm suggesting your position would lead to. So before we but kill that, com that, that compartmentalization that. you're talking about, we're there. We're already there because we're so busy thinking, all right, let's get, let my side get control. And then I'll force what I want down everybody's throat. And I can do it by the force of law. Yeah, we're not, we don't have anybody trying to win over the hearts and minds, except for this podcast. Right. And, and, and the reason you don't is because you have the force of government and everybody's fighting for who's controlling it. Exactly. And what if you take away that? Separ what if you take away the force I, of government? I am, all for, I am all for the separation of government from education because I think by and large politicians find uh, politicians use teachers, parents, administrators, students. They use them as political pawns in their petty little machinations to have control. I think we need to have a conversation, just me and you and whoever else wants to be involved in libertarian ideology uh, versus the other 95% of the world. And just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to, sorry to be that little maybe, all the other libertarians. No, that's but, fine. That's but fine. No, but like, but statistically, you're you right. a very small position. And, and, uh, but I think there are co some compelling parts of libertarianism. I think that, you know, but I, but I don't think that that conversation necessarily, I mean, it's been good in this conversation, but we need to move past that because I, I don't want to get bogged down too much in that um, so much here. I think we, I, I, I hope we've, you know, explored it, you know, pretty good though. Um, so unless anybody had any other thoughts, anybody else that didn't get to speak on that, anything else, what did they say? Anybody else want to throw stones at Paul before we move on to teaching? Oh, I just, you know, maybe some small ones but no i would say um or agree i, I hate to wrap back to something so much earlier but as far as negativity goes um i i agree that it can be very easy to dwell in the negative and i didn't mean to do that so much in the last podcast but i will say that you do have to acknowledge a problem and you have to critique it in order to be able to change it which was what I was attempting to do. Perhaps I came off heavily, heavy-handed with the idiot factories. But um, with that cute saying, I was attempting to simply put forward the the factual evidence that there is that the schools are not doing a great job of um, educating our children in what in, in how to learn. They're teaching them a lot of facts but not teaching them how to think as far as like, you really don't have to teach people how to think. You just have to let them do it. Um, and they're doing a bad job of, of allowing children to be humans and to think. And that's, that was my critique there. And I, I do agree that uh, in order to actually build consensus, you do have to have um, a hopeful outlook. So, yes. I think just, you did a great job like coming kind of back from that and explaining what you meant and actually you know approaching it kindly um but for me that just kind of pointed out how polarizing what we're being like the media influences are 
on us um, and the news sources and stuff because yeah. they do tend to come very strongly from a specific, you know, either the left or the right. And um, it it's very hard not to be influenced by that because that's yeah. what we're being bombarded with. And we're being bombarded with it because we have a system where, you know, the people get in power for four years and they have a very limited time with which to actually influence anything. And half the time that they're there, I'm sorry, half the time that they're there, they're not actually doing anything other than just trying to get reelected. So again, you know, the way to get reelected is to make people mad, right? right. Make people mad enough that they're going to get that out there and vote. And one of the major topics that you can get everybody mad about and involved in is education because it affects pretty much everybody. Um, you know, we all <laughs> either have kids, our kids, or have grandkids or, you know, no people who are in the school system. So it's, it's a big deal. It's an important deal. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of the Mr. Rogers situation, you know, when he says like, you know, when you're in a scary time or, you know, a, a war situation or whatever, you know, look for the heroes. Um, I feel like we're almost in the, at that point where we need to be looking for like the good stories, the yeah. things that are working in education. Look for those like places, those glimmers of hope. I think that that's what we need. I think that there's a lot of the issues that are coming with education and why everybody's like, you know, oh, it's just all messed up. It's hopeless. It's because we're not looking at the good that's happening. And there is a lot of good happening every day it's not all bad. It's not all messed up. You know, there's a whole lot that is working. There's a whole lot of innovative innovation that's happening. There's a lot of new ideas that are being brought in um, and, and that are being introduced. And there's, there's forward momentum there. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what we need when we come to an education debate is not necessarily, you know, okay, let's address the issues. Let's address the things in the past that haven't been working well, but let's also look at the things that are working um, at the new things that are being introduced that are, you know, that are exciting that are cool. that are new that we can get behind and, you know, start bringing people together and then, you know, build on that with even more new ideas and actually go, you know, look, <laughs> this is important. And we're not just going to sit here and say, oh, it's hopeless and we can't do anything about it. And it's all, you know, I, and I mean, to pick on Paul a little bit here, you know, I don't know that we need to just say, get rid of it all and, you know, completely reinvent the wheel, but actually go, you know, let's refine that wheel let's figure it out let's keep on making it get it rolling yeah um we have something that's good we have things that have worked we have a system in place that yeah. is massive and it's clunky and it's you know got its issues but there's some things that are working too 
So do you let's find those. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to explain the sound in the background so that people don't think you're torturing somebody? <laughs> yeah, that is my 13 year old um, son. He has severe autism um, and he is just extremely happy listening to his YouTube videos um, yeah. as all happy noises and his wonderful father who's trying to usher him up the stairs to get him away because he knows that yeah that's a lot of noise in the background yeah we love him and uh i just wanted listeners to be like wait a second what's the sound yeah. i want them to think that there was a you know anything wrong there so um okay great so uh teacher apprenticeships this is something uh rachel you brought to my attention that uh i had never heard of that i thought was really cool something that uh um, I'll let you introduce the concept that's going on and just, and then we can all talk about it real quick and then, uh, move on to the last topic, but yeah, go ahead. If you, if you don't mind what you were telling me, um, well, the, there, it is a new program that they're doing, um, across Tennessee that they're bringing in, um, basically teacher apprentices, um, adults that have wanted to be, or to learn how to be a teacher, but don't necessarily have the time to go to school um, full-time. They're just going ahead and bringing them in and getting them that experience and that exposure um, in the classroom right there. And um, apparently, I actually was talking to some of my friends um, last night about it. And that's actually something that in specific places they've actually been doing for a while now. Um, and it seems like it's working really well. Um, the thing that did surprise me that I mentioned to you, um, John, was that I was, I read the article and I was like, oh, this sounds so great. You know, it's going to help with teacher burnout and, you know, all of the overcrowded classrooms and stuff, you know, getting some other people in here, um, you know, training. It's, it's a great idea, right? And um, clicking on the comments, I was reading comment after comment after comment where people were just mad and they thought it was a horrible idea. And, you know, most of the ones that were commenting were teachers. And um, a lot of their comments were that it undermined the education that they had um, worked really hard for and that, you know, they had, had to go to school and, you know, gotten all these student loans and stuff and that, you know, just bringing in some yoohoo off the street, um, it wasn't, you know, actually showing how, you know, hard they had worked. And then the other thought behind it, which a lot of people automatically assumed that what was going to happen was you were going to bring in an untrained person and they were going to get shoved into a classroom completely on their own um, and then be expected to teach and not know how. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, you know, automatically it was like, well, you know, this is not going to work right. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that it's going to work this way, but no. Um, and then, you know, another thing that came up was, you know, um, that just means 
<laughs> that teachers aren't going to get the raises that we need. Um, so it was all, it was position, money, and then concern for Quality. the failure of the program. Yeah. Um, I would say the way forward on that is really to, for what that is, is called well-earned well cynicism. And in order to defeat well-earned cynicism, what you have to do is accept the critique, um, own up to the fact that, that when you have implemented things in the past that they've often gone wrong, or that other people have done similar things and it's not worked well, and ask for support and help in doing it from the local community, because that's what it's going to be. Because if you try to do this without buy-in, that's what's going to happen yeah. from your community being your teachers, your parents. Um, like get people excited about the idea because really what it could be not what it will be because it's all theory right now what it could be is many hands making lighter loads um, and that would be fantastic but also what those teachers are, are complaining that it could be is um, an attempt for um, attempt for lower paid people to come in and replace them so they'd be just training their replacements. And that's not what they want to do. They want to have more teachers making things better for the kids that they care about. So it's, it's again, it's about accepting the criticism um, and humbly going before the people who matter uh, in the situation, which is the teachers, the parents, um, and, and uh, getting that buy-in first, so. Yeah, part of, uh, Rebecca, you look like you were going to say something there before I. Because <laughs> my face is twitching. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to add. Sorry. I was... Yeah, I, I am uh, thinking about something. You were just freezing, so I was confused. Um, so I can definitely understand where the teachers would be upset by that. Um, because it's basically, it's bypassing a lot of years that they had to slog through and a lot of money to get to student teaching, which they also had to do. But at the end of three and a half years of education on learning the, the technical and like all of the theory behind teaching and like, you know, I... I started my education degree. I didn't finish it. I decided to get married, but, um, you know, I started down that process and I have many friends who did finish their degree and then went out and started teaching and were like, this is insane. I don't ever want to do this again. Taught one year and then left. Yeah. Um, so like, but then, you know, had all of their debt and then went into a totally unrelated profession. And I think that happens a a lot specifically with education because nothing really can prepare you for the emotional <laughs> and physical um, toll that teaching can take on you. Um, and if it is not something that you are, you feel called to and passionate about, it's a really hard mantle to take up. Mm -hmm. um, I firmly believe it's the calling for those who, who actually do it and stay in it. Um, but that being said, I think there, there are people that should have been teachers and that have all of this great life experience. And I love that there's a way for them to come into it 
and not have to go through all of the education part mm -hmm. to be able to to get in there and teach maybe from a different perspective because they didn't go through all of the theory but the theory is helpful yeah but the the actual going through and learning how to teach someone is valuable so i don't know i'm torn on that but i i definitely understand where the teachers are coming from in the i worked a long way to get here and then someone off the street is coming in and they're learning to do the same thing that i'm doing but they're not maybe as well equipped or um you know they haven't paid their dues is kind of the mindset and i'm not saying that that's necessarily right because i think you know those people have certainly could have a lot to offer in that role but i think that 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 is tricky and it would have to be done with a lot of intentionality for it to work well. Yeah, I was going to say um, this happened in the medical field, uh, specifically in the lab where uh, in the laboratory profession, there are, uh, you can get a bachelor's degrees in medical laboratories, uh, technologist or scientist, and then there's medical techno uh, medical laboratory technician, which is like an associate's degree. And some states were toying with the idea because of the shortage of laboratory professionals of letting people with just like, uh, with no education come in and like process samples and not doing like whatever, or like uh, in-depth laboratory processes or use some of the analyzers that were not as advanced, didn't require any manual calculations. And there's just an uproar of like medical laboratory scientists that are like, I have this much student loan debt because my, my degree and you're basically the scientific level and knowledge and theory on how to do it. And you're saying that you can do the same thing by putting the analyzer on a thing and hitting the button. You know, it's like an outside person would come in and say, these laboratory technicians just get the sample, scan it, put it on the thing and hit the button. And then the machine does the, all the calculations. You don't need to pay somebody, you know, $30 an hour to do this job, you know, and they don't need this like advanced education to do this job. And so, but there was a huge pushback because like, well, what if the analyzer goes down and I have to do all this manual calculations? And what if the value that I get is not, it's not adding up. If I have, if I know all the theory, why behind something that's happening, I can, I can spot why this is wrong and, you know, and correct it and not report false results. So there was like a big, huge backlash within the community for people that had, you know, advanced uh, skills of saying that you can't do this, but like the economic side of it was why, why not? And I think that, uh, you know, sort of the happy medium is that you have a certain number of people and that, but you always have people that have the higher, you know, education levels and, and the, you know, the, the theory behind it are able to, uh, to supervise. I think that is helpful. And I think that that applies to the situation. As long as you have administrators um, that, uh, and there's even some like issues with administrators not having, you know, a great, <laughs> great idea of what, how to educate as well. And I think that sometimes that causes a little bit of issues. And we talked about that some on the, I think the previous episode, but, uh, but yeah, so it's not just the education field. It's a lot of fields where there's this sort of like, <laughs> you know, the economics versus the people that are in the field and some really hard feelings, some really, really hard feelings. 
oh man, I was going to go to Paul, but Paul hates Zoom. So <laughs> if he had anything to say on this, so um, looks like he needed to step away for a minute, which is fine. So uh, we'll go to this last question and then um, we'll see if Paul has, oh, Paul, do you have anything to add to that? Teachers yes. So um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of apprenticeships. Um, I'm also a really big fan of understanding the theory behind what you're doing. Um, and I think a good apprenticeship program combines those two. So you, you get the real world, real life experience in the, in this case, in the actual classroom with kids, you see teachers, um, working with the kids and, um, and then in things like planning periods or in, uh, in other times set off when the students aren't there or not there, then the teacher goes to the apprentice and walks them through, here's why I did this this way. And here's, um, you know, here's some reading material that you need to, to go through and understand um, because the theory of why I did what I did um, is as important and it informs how I do what I do. So um, I, I get the concern, teacher's concern about the not communicating the theory of why, but I think a good apprenticeship program um, makes space for that and, and not just makes space, but makes an appropriate amount of space. Um, so yeah, that, that's, yes, that's what but I Yes, not on planning periods. Yeah, it, it, that could not easily be the teacher's responsibility who's teaching the class because during planning periods, they're planning or trying to eat or sitting down for five minutes because they're exhausted because they've been running around in circles trying to teach all these kids. And like to ask more of the teacher, they're probably not going to do it. And if they do, it's going to push a burnout even more because they just don't have the bandwidth to do that they're already running on fumes um is what like puts if you wanted teachers, to... I, I i'm gonna ask a question because i don't know the answer and then it's gonna help uh will inform what i might or might not say next what drives the what drives a situation where teachers are at the point where they're running on fumes, where they're just sitting down for five minutes to catch a break? Um, and I ask that because I've not been on the teacher side of the equation. So. And you have. In an ideal I can't. world, mm -hmm. you as the teacher come in, you teach the kids respectfully, raise their hands, ask their questions. You're being heard, they're receiving, okay. they're understanding. Teaching Got is okay. never best case scenario. There are okay. days. Got it. So it's trying to get Johnny to sit back in his seat, hey. trying to get, the, yeah, you <laughs> down. <laughs> <laughs> to see, um, 
to, to actually engage the students so that they're learning. You've got a lot of different kids and a lot of different moving pieces at a lot of different levels of, um, of that have a lot of different learning styles. So you might have your front row of kids that all need to be close to you and they need to be looking at the board and they need to be hearing you. You've got the kid in the back that they already know all the stuff. They're probably paying attention without much focus. Like you've got, you've organized your room so that your distracted kids are close to you. Your ones that can work by themselves are in the back. Like there's a lot of strategy that you're already doing, a lot of calculations. You have to explain it not just one time in one way, you then have to explain it another way so that you're catching as many of the kids as you can with this net that you're casting of teaching. And all like, while all of that is going on, this kid over here is talking, not paying attention. This kid over here wants to tell you about what they did for their birthday. That was, you know, almost a year ago now. And like, they really need to tell you, you know what, you really have to listen because they can't hear anything that you're saying until they're done saying what they're saying. So like you are trying so hard to communicate and, you know, hypothetically you have all of these tools and resources and you're this resourceful teacher, but it's hard. Your okay. voice is tired, you're on your feet. You've got another class that's another section, um, subject that you're supposed to be switching to in five minutes you haven't finished this one and in half an hour after that you've got to be at the gym and you know it's all all of the little okay. pieces if anything happens that disrupts your flow you're compensating you're trying to get the ship back up like and then by the time they're at something that you don't have to be at and they're with another teacher you just want to sit down and maybe eat a snack because during lunch you are breaking up fights and opening packages and doing all of the things to help each kid. So those planning periods, or you're running frantically down to the copier to make copies of the thing because this kid lost their book and you need this for an assignment. Like it's, it's all of those pieces. And that's why you have teachers that are always staying after work to finish things, or maybe they're grading, or maybe they're working on their lesson plan for next week. Like there is just like, if you gave teachers an extra two hours that they're actually getting compensated for, they would easily fill that and probably still take some work home. So asking on top of that, that you break down your reasoning for why you did something, you probably can't even find the reason that you did that thing. It's just so ingrained at this point. Okay. Um, Intuitive. The, um, my thoughts on the kind of <laughs> fixing the problem of the teacher apprenticing um, were honestly just a little bit of clarification and, and maybe setting you know some expectations um you know number one would be to maybe actually just you know have the people that are coming in and apprenticing agree that they're going to actually be working towards their degree um at the same time as they're 
in there filling that need. And, you know, um, I think that that would be what's best for, you know, the, the apprentices. And then number two, guaranteeing that they're not going to be the one teaching. They're going to be an assistant. Um, they, you know, will not be the ones standing up taking over the classes because um, apparently that does need to be clarified. And then, you know, number three, also just stating that, you know, they're not going to be making as much um, as an assistant as they will when they actually complete their degree, get their training and can go in with already having a whole bunch of experience under their belts. Um, you know, hopefully even more than most teachers have with their, uh, you know, student teaching that they have to do anyway um so i i mean i feel like that to me would kind of solve that issue is just you know and again you might not even know that you had that need to make those clarifications and those stipulations if you don't shoot it out to the general public and get their feedback and hear where the problems are. And then, you know, having gotten all that feedback and made a plan and shared it with everybody, you can jump into it a whole lot smoother than if you're just trying to make a plan and go on your own, which I think is one of the benefits of social media um, rather than, you know, all the drawbacks that we're talking about is it actually gives you a chance to get that input um, and, hopefully learn from it. Yeah. So I think uh, I, I like what you're saying because I think it, it's all about educating people like what I did there, you know, educating people on what it is that you're doing with the program. And I think that would be interesting if you could apprentice for a time and then, <clears throat> and then go get your education or you can get your education and then come right in at a higher pay. Um, but either way, there's sort of two different paths to teaching. I think that if there's two different paths to almost to most, uh, most, uh, professions, that would be great. You apprentice first and then you get the why, and then you can make more money or you can, you know, get all that why first and then come right in and make more money. But you've spent that money up front, <coughs> excuse me, on the education. So, um, but I think that would be good for lots and lots of uh, degrees. And I think that's just a cultural shift. Um, and then as far as like, um, you know, I would think that it would be great to have a situation where um, you could have politicians come on to, you know, local shows, if there was more people interviewing people, you know, on these things that uh, like a platform for like, what are your local issues.com, you know, and then every, you know, district or whatever could have like, okay, education, and you could get informed on from the lawmakers themselves on how these things work. And you could almost like Clubhouse or um, whatever Twitter has where you uh, <clears throat> can, uh, I think it's Twitter spaces or whatever, where you can get in and actually talk, communicate one-on-one -on -one with people, you know, whether it's virtually and you don't have to go to a town hall type things as well. Or you could record a question, submit it in, and then they could play that and then that person could respond. Um, so... Yeah, I think Rachel that the having I love the idea of apprenticing. I really do. And like in a lot of ways, that's kind of what I've done over the years is I have worked in you know, subbing, I've done, you know, filling in. Um 
even when I was in high school, like working at um, the school that I worked at. Um, you know, I got a chance to actually see what the classroom felt like and looked like and like to have that kind of grounding for, yeah, I actually think I would like to do this before I went to school for it. And then even after like- How much better to know that it's something you want. I'm sorry. <laughs> How much better to know that it's something that you want before you've spent all the money on the degree, Sure. you know, to actually get in there and say, you know, oh yeah, this is for me or get in there and say, you know what, change my mind, you know, let me go somewhere else. And that eliminates- a whole lot of frustration for a whole lot of people, especially the younger people like you are. Right. And I think and it pain. also made it, what? Sorry, go ahead. Um, it made it easier in a lot of ways when I was going through classes talking about, you know, uh, <clears throat> behavior management styles. Like I could think of kids that it was describing. And I was like, oh, like this is what I was seeing you know, this is how that behavior was playing out. And I had no idea what I was looking at because I was, you know, 17 and, you know, not well-trained yet, you know, but I had that opportunity to like, I already had kids popping into my head, like, oh, this is a strategy I could have tried. Oh, this is a way I could have that concept better. This is why this worked well. And like, I got I, I feel very blessed. I've, I've been able to shadow a lot of different teachers and be in a lot of different classrooms. And I've seen a lot of different styles of teaching. And that's been really good for me because like, I feel like I have a collection of um, ideas and of strategies that I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so I can kind of pull out of a hat of like, oh, I learned this from that one random student that I worked with, you know, this one time. <laughs> so like it gives you a better, it does give you a better start to have that real classroom experience, which, you know, student teaching is good for that too. Um, it's just a shorter window of time generally. Um, so like if you're apprenticing and taking courses at the same time, I think that that would be a really helpful strategy because you're you're seeing kids in your head as you're reading about them or you know watching whatever information you're going oh that's what I'm seeing that's a great idea to try and help this kid like so it's specific you're using those things probably right away with the class that you're already working with whereas sometimes when you just get the theory and then you don't use it for four or five years. Like it's a little rusty. You're um, getting the what and the why instead of just the how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it does create a more cohesive plan. So yeah, when I trained in the, in the Navy and all subsequent jobs where I've done training, um, I love training people. And what I'd use is the sandwich technique. <clears throat> and basically I, um, I teach them first, you know, what, what the, what, what they're supposed to do. And then like, they watch me, you know, you, you learn by watching me, you, you know, whatever you see, what you're supposed to do, all this kind of stuff. And then I put them in the chair and I let them do the job. 
And, you know, while, while they're teaching me, I'm like, well, do you have any questions on this? What do you have any questions on this? Usually the questions are weak. You know what I mean? Like they're not like having that great questions, you know, basic questions. You put them in the hot seat to do the job, whatever they're doing. And then they get back out and they have a thousand really great questions as they're watching you do something. And this time they're able to pick up on all the nuances. You know, when you have that pressure of like, now I'm doing the job. Um, and then, you know, all these questions start popping up and sometimes you don't have time to process all those questions, try to ask questions in the moment, but then I'm going to go back and then I'm going to, I'm going to do the job again. I'm going to have them watch me do the job. The questions there are wonderful. Those are the best questions that you get because they are like, yeah, that happened to me. That's what did. Okay. That's why did you do that? You know, and then, and then it's always worked best. It's been a, the sandwich uh, technique is what I call it. Um, I don't know if it has another name, but if you were to have where you learn some of the, you know, <clears throat> boy, I'm getting <clears throat> I'm stuck in my throat there. But if you were to do some training uh, and then you get that, uh, you get that didactic learning, right? And then you go into the classroom like you were explaining and you see all these things and like, you know, <clears throat> whatever. And then you were to go back and train additionally after that and get you you would be a better student that second time around than you were the first time around I think that would be a really interesting thing if we were to introduce into college classes you have a portion of like your sophomore year before you go into your senior year uh sophomore before you go into your senior year senior what in the world (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm gonna kill myself Okay, so I just have one real quick question. At <coughs> sure. what point do you have the trainee make you a sandwich? I don't understand the metaphor. <laughs> the first day before oh. they feel better. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that's another interesting like dynamic that I think that you could introduce into college classes where, and you, you do have some level of this, right? But a lot of times it's like you go for an internship and then you come back to school and then you do more things. Then you're a much better student that that next time around after you've seen some things and you've got those questions. You know, you can do like you said, you go in, you look at it first and then you go back and, you know, you're you're better in college because you're seeing something there. Um, But I think that, you know, what even reinforces it is to learn something first, then put yourself in the hot seat. And then come back and learn some more things, you know, because it just layers and cements so much better. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Last question here is: uh, Is college debt crippling success? And <clears throat> I think that this has kind of come up in the conversation a little bit, and I think it came up in the conversation a little bit last time. But I will say that <clears throat> student loan debt and medical. Um, bills are the two largest groups of debt that people have. It's even larger than um, it's even larger than car debt. So people have more co- uh, college debt as a percentage than people have for car debt, which is kind of a crazy thing if you think about. <clears throat> only half the people in the world go to world. Goodness, half of the people in the United States go to college or less. Well, I think and- College. more people have college is definitely a, a stronger vehicle than most cars so. <laughs> exactly and <clears throat> oh i'm gonna need to go get something for my throat here but cough um, drop yeah so uh i'm gonna go grab a cough drop i'll be right so, back 
college debt, right? Is that crippling success? I think that I know for doctors, a lot of times they get out of school and they have so much debt that they have to work a lot of hours. And basically, I don't even, I don't think that they always perform the best quality of care because you have to make a certain amount of money to, in order to pay back your college debt. So, so sometimes you are paying, you are preferring higher paid procedures. You're taking insurance that reimburses higher. Um, I think that's true in every field. I think that you're always, because you have a lot of debt, you're, you're making decisions based on, you know, <clears throat> you have to make a certain amount of money in order to pay that back. I think that uh, we've talked about how that can be very, very difficult in, uh, for teachers that have, you know, have a lot of debt and then don't make a lot of money um, and have to go choose a different field or they just weren't, you know, a good fit for the field in the first place, but now they have a lot of debt. So um, I just, I think we talked a little bit about this in the last episode. We touched on it um, briefly. And so, but, but I wanted to, I wanted to kind of jump into it a little bit further with you guys, because I think that uh, my position has been, you know, if you half the, half the, half the country didn't go to school, right? So why should the other half have to pay for the people who did go to college? It's basically, and those people usually make higher salaries when you go to college. So why are we going to subsidize people that went to college and got better jobs than us? And now we just erase their student loan debt, right? That's not really fair. But I think that a lot of people that did go to college, started to go to college, that didn't get a degree are usually the worst ones off because you didn't get a degree, so you're not able to get you know a higher paying salary, and you have all this debt. So it's not the worst just off. Do what? The worst off are the ones with the underwater <laughs> basket weaving degrees, yeah, or arts. Take your pick. For sure. So, um, yeah. Do you guys have any feelings about that? <clears throat> Who? Um, anyone? Rebecca. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I have several thoughts from what you said. Um, I think that in the position of, you know, people choosing to do a more expensive procedure because they're trying to make back money, I think that to some degree, you're still going to have, if someone's willing to make moral decisions based on money you're probably still going to have people making those choices based on money, whether or not that is attached to that. But that being said, I do know that, that having debt does sometimes push people further into that than they would maybe naturally be inclined to, um, or provides an excuse for it or makes you consider it in a way that you, you know, would have dismissed otherwise, if you weren't, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to pay your mortgage. Um, so, you know, people in desperate situations, you know, clearly that puts you in a different mindset for, for making moral decisions, but at the end of the day, it's, it's about your moral compass, um, when you do make those decisions. Um, so I think that it doesn't have necessarily a great effect on that, but I don't think it's, it would just 
necessarily make people make moral decisions if you took the debt away. Um, I don't know if that's clear, but hopefully that made sense. Um, but I do think, you know, again, with the, you know, the people that have worked hard to pay off their student loans, you know, I went for two years and then I spent like six years paying off my loans. And that was after getting all the scholarships that I could find working myself till I could barely stand up straight during college to try and not take on more debt. So I was able to pay my debt off in a reasonable amount of time, but only because Josiah didn't have um, college debt as well. So we were just working on my debt. Mm-hmm. But then I look around and I'm like, <laughs> we, we were putting every spare penny toward that. And then some people come out with all of this debt and then they, they're mad that they have to pay off their debts. Like that makes me feel frustrated. And then if their debt gets eradicated, now I'm mad. Cause I, I killed myself in college. I killed myself after college. We pooled our resources. We pushed like, no, I don't want somebody else to have to go through that, you know, same scenario. But I also feel a little gypped if somebody else doesn't have to. So should, should colleges be more affordable in the first place? I feel like maybe we should have some more options, but I also think that there are a lot of options. And if you don't want to go into deep debt for school, you don't have to. Um, There are ways around getting into more debt than you can handle, but it's just expected now that you're going to graduate high school and then you're going to go to college and you're going to graduate and then you're going to pay off your debt for your next, the debt for the next 20 years. Like that is kind of what has been accepted as this is how you do college. And there are, you know, maybe it takes you longer and you take less classes and you go to a community college, but there are other options besides just eradicating everyone's debt that didn't, that didn't think about the end game when they went to get their degree. Well, that's been exciting. So I don't know, maybe I'm not very compassionate about it, but. <laughs> oh yeah, That's but I think that I'm just looking at it from a uh, you know from an economic point of view where you that's been accepted as normal for our generation to be paying on it for the next 20 years but used to be you know 15 20 30 50 years ago you could get out of school you could go buy a house you could you know all by your 20s by the time you're 30s you don't have school debt you are already building equity in a home and now if you're paying on that loan for 20 years and you're paying on your car and renting, and then you don't get into a house until you're in your thirties, you know, and forties, and, you know, then you're not building that equity in your home and you're not passing on as much generational wealth. It's, it's slowing the cycle down. And I don't think that we should be accepting that as a society as normal, that college debt. So I, I also agree that I think we should be putting, making college, we, we need to make colleges take the responsibility of, and I think we touched on this in the last episode a little bit, I think, um, about colleges taking on that responsibility 
of providing that loan, not the government. The government should not be subsidizing these loans. It should be the 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 <clears throat> the college because if you don't get out and you don't pay that loan back to them, then they're the ones that have to write off that loan. They're the ones that have to chase you down for that loan. So it puts the burden of we want quality education so that you can go get a job. We want to make sure that our students get out of here with good degrees. We're not going to offer basket weaving because people don't pay those loans back to us because they're not making enough money. So it that automatically balances itself out by just taking the government out of it. So that's that's the solution, the best solution as far as I can tell for how you get the cost of college down. Um, but I think that what we have right now is a crisis, a little like an, a crisis. We have because largely our generation, the millennial generation, has accepted that that's that's okay, that's this normal that you can take on all this debt and you're just going to be paying that off forever and you're never going to get into a home and you're you're losing valuable years. The opportunity cost of being able to get into a home and put back wealth is is largely not there. So what do you, what do you do for all those people? You and I worked hard and paid off our student loans. Uh, between Jasmine and I, we, we, you know, we've had a pretty significant amount of loans. We're able to pay that off. But I was also able to get into a home, use the GI Bill, and then refinance that home to pay off my student loans. So I was able to just financially maneuver all around. But not everybody gets the GI Bill. And now I'm going to be taking college classes in the summer and use the GI Bill again. And so the military has allowed me to do all the sort of maneuvering financials you know, the way that I've done it. And that's been a lot of hard work. And, you know, I work pretty hard in the military, you know, to get these benefits. But, but I look at a lot of other people that, you know, are in, you know, very dire situations, you know, $50,000 worth of debt, and they're not making $50,000 a year even, you know, and they don't have homes, and they're in the 30s. That's a bad financial place to be in, in, in your personal life. But it's also, times that by thousands of people in our population mm -hmm. it's a crisis you know like it, it's a personal crisis but it's also a societal crisis and so yes that's how we fix how we fix the cost of college there's a way to fix the cost of college but then also like what do we do about the people that are in this situation you and i have been able to uh you know push through but there are some people that have not and they're way behind the curve you know, and that's bad. I see that as bad and I don't know how to do it. And, and yeah, I like, yeah, I feel jealous because they get, you know, their debt written off or whatever, but also too, I don't because I don't want everyone around me to be crippled by debt. So there's kind of a, I have a little bit of mixed emotions as well. Um, so, but I don't know. Uh, and Rachel and Jason, uh, Rachel and Paul and uh, Matt, go ahead and chime in. Uh, anybody that's ready, fire away. <clears throat> I mean, from the macro level, I was actually thinking about that as well, where it doesn't seem to affect you. But if if people are, you know, not even stable in their 30s, then they're not having kids. They're choosing not to. And that has maybe there's other issues, but it's a very convenient excuse not to have children because you just don't feel like you could have children right now or get married. And, you know, those those things are, are factors, very significant factors that have continued to push back the age of um, marriage and, and childbearing to the point where if uh, if we're up to Americans who are at least second generation, 
then America's population would be so far into decline that our economy would be collapsing under its own weight. Uh, if, if we did not have immigration, America would have already been in a very dire straits. Um, the, the shortage of workers that we have right now is nothing compared to what we would have. So there are societal repercussions to, um, to crushing debt, um, but we've allowed for a lot more debt than is wise because there's that feeling that there's going to be somebody to come to your rescue you know, if you fail. Uh, you can always fall back on bankruptcy, which it's, it has its place, but there should also be some accountability there too. So there's a culture of debt. There is uh, um, that expectation that people are going to make it back, which is unrealistic, and that is a, a culture of lies. <laughs> that that college is the be all end all for being able to get a good job. Uh, the culture of requiring things that are not needed, uh, an inefficiency that has crept into our our businesses. It's horribly inefficient to hire um, college trained dishwashers. Why are we requiring that? Why why is why are businesses requiring people to be college educated to do something that does not require college education? Um, it's horrible inefficiencies that have, have crept into there. Well, I generally agree that the free market is a great idea. Um, it's it, it sometimes because of the same reasons that the government is problematic. The sometimes free market will also cause issues. And I'm not talking about this without a base. Uh, the Bible spends a great amount of time talking about just weights and measures. Um, when it's talking about that, it's talking in to two things. It's talking in condemnation of the business people who are doing the wrong and also condemnation of the rulers for not doing their, their governance job, whatever you want to term that, Paul. <laughs> They're not doing their job that of making justice available to the poor. Um, and so it's just from a macro level, things always fall apart when the morality of the individuals begins to fall apart. So any solution that we have has to um, really come in at both directions. You, you can't say that debt is bad, therefore, you know, we have to eliminate debt. We have to have a better, better option than debt. If, if businesses are requiring you to go into debt in order to be able to get into those businesses, then you can't be completely at fault that you took too much debt on. You know, this it is, it requires a holistic solution. It requires um, looking at things from a personal level, like, can I afford to take on this debt? What's my responsibility to what wisdom in, in relation to debt? And also it's a responsibility of the individual companies to, to look at things and say, hey, we're doing things that don't make any sense, causing people to take on too much debt. And that's going to require conversations because cultural, cultural um, expectations in companies are a lot easier to change than than you think. Yeah. It's not hard. It's not impossible. Not is what I'm saying. It's not like it's easy. It's hard. Changing people's minds about anything is hard. We're all pretty stubborn. But I think this ties um, back into the conversation earlier that we were having. I think that a lot of the points that you're making are tying back into why do people feel bitter that, uh, you know, people in the healthcare field are coming in at uh, entry level and able to do this job when I had all this education and I paid all this money for my education? Why did, doc, why, did uh, why do teachers feel like, you know, I spent all this money and all this time learning all this stuff, and then you're going to come in here and, you know, make this money and do this job, same job that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, that threatening feeling of like, 
I have thousands of dollars of student, not hundreds, thousands and thousands of dollars of student loan debt, and you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have, you know, put my time in and my effort into this, and it's going to increase that feeling of burnout that now you can just come in here, you know, there was a gate for me to go through, and you don't have that same gate to go through. That Mm -hmm. feels bad. So, um, yeah, Rachel and Paul, feel free to chime in. I just want to tie that back a little bit there because it seemed like what you're saying. Rachel, do you have any thoughts on college debt crippling success? Um, I guess my perspective is I know what I faced going to college. I know what um, my husband faced going to college, but I also have children who are coming up, you know, getting very close to entering college themselves. And um, I think that when you have your children facing those things, you have a different mentality about it than when you look at, you know, your peers. Mm-hmm. Um, you go, you know, you kind of lose that whole resentment <laughs> factor of, um, you know, why did, why did they, you know, not have things or have things easier than I did? You, you go, I want my kids to have it easier than I had. I don't want them to face the hardships um, and the challenges that I did. But on the other side of that, um, I also agree that I don't want my kids to have it too easy. <laughs> you know, um, I think that there is value in um, having to really determine what you want for your life and then have to work to figure out how to do it in the best way possible. And um, I don't want them to just have it handed to them because they don't, they don't value it um, when it's just handed. So there is that, you know, if you know what you are doing, there are ways to go to college relatively cheaply. Um, there are grants out there. There are scholarships out there. There, you know, in Tennessee, we've got two years of community college that you can, you know, that's already free. Um, and taking advantage of those programs that are out there weeds out the people who are going, or the kids who are going to really try and really strive for it and the ones who just, you know, are drifting. And I think that that weeding out is important to do. It's important for them. And it does, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm all for having more of those programs and more of those ways to lessen the expense of college. I am more for, you know, having the accountability that you're talking about, you know, John Mark for the loans, you know, on the colleges where they are actually making sure that the programs that they're offering, you know, are going to be able to have a return on investment. Um, So yeah, there's, a lot of different thoughts there, but um, ultimately I am more for tweaking the system that is in place 
than completely kind of overthrowing it. Um, I think that you get a lot farther um, if you make little changes at a time in our society um, and that you really explain them as you go because we do have such a lot of diverse opinions and thoughts and perspectives on um, everything. And yeah, you got to have the buy-in. You have to have people understanding what it is that they're doing because we want that. We want that choice. We want that, um, we want that input because the things that we have a say in, we get excited about and we continue in. And um, I think that it's another thing that I was talking about with my group of friends last night, Um, you know, they were talking about, I, I, I asked the question, you know, how do you actually get people excited for what's going on in your school? You know, how do you get the parents and the teachers and the admins and everybody on the same page? And um, one of the things that one of my friends said was, you know, get people involved. That it's it's long and the short of it. If you have the parents actually involved in what's going on at the school um, and not, you know, going crazy, running around doing fundraisers, no, but actually, you know, she said that, you know, there was one, um, one example of when the dads, there was a group of dads that came into a school and they were um, doing the security stuff. Um, and, you know, just walking up and down the hallways and that like really changed the entire energy of the students and how the, the behavior and stuff that was in that school is just having that group of dads walk in the hallways, um, you know, and they were filling a temporary need, but it really made a difference. And I think that, yeah, that's, that may just be the key. It's a very simple key, but I think that's a starting place anyway. Yeah. Paul, do you have any uh, thoughts on college debt crippling success? Um, Yeah. So when I went to get a student loan, I actually had to go to a bank. I didn't go directly to the government. I had to fill out FAFSA forms, but I actually went to my local bank and filled out a loan loan papers for student loan. Um, I went to the business office of the school and I saw my student loan check for about five seconds, which is about the time I needed, which inside that eternity of five seconds, um, the person at the business office put my check on the table, turned it upside down. I signed it. They took it away and I never never saw it again. I, Rachel's the only one I can think of that may have had that same experience. But I don't think the rest of you, I think the rest of you, if you filled out, if you got a loan for 
school, you probably went, filled out paperwork directly to the government and not to a lending institution of some sort. Am I correct? Yeah, I was on a website, Navinet or something, whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was, but okay. I'm not certain, but I believe Matt? mine was actually to the, um, like I should say, the forms that I filled out were at the, the college and then they actually took care of the loans, but I'm not 100% certain if that's how it worked. But they probably, that probably went to the federal government. Yeah, they probably and not to a lending institution like a bank. Right. right. Okay. Rachel, did you go to a bank or did you? You remember how um, yours went? We went. I went with Dad to this conference in a hotel that was all about how to um, get grants and scholarships and funding, mm -hmm. loan funding. Um, and they had all the paperwork there in this little conference for seniors and we filled it all out and sent it off. So I didn't actually go to a bank, but I'm pretty sure that the applications and stuff that I was filling out were for a bank. It just was kind of a okay. little extra step to get there. Okay. Rebecca, how did yours go down? Uh, it was all at the school business office. Um, I don't okay. think it was through a bank or any of those forms, but I'm not entirely sure. I think it was okay. similar to the way a so, dealership um, does. Yeah. Do what? I believe it was similar to the way a dealership does, where um, they get the loans for you on your behalf. Um, and they're guaranteed by the federal, you know, whatever it is. But those are through individual right. institutions. So more that that going to an in, going to an institution is those days are done, gone. Um, and I know this because I know somebody who worked in education and saw this shift happen. Um, there's so students go to a government website, they fill out the forms, they get approved, and most of the time they get a debit card. And you're supposed to take that debit card and let the school scan or let school run it, and the school gets their money for tuition. You go to the bookstore, you use it to buy books, and you spend that on your college education. Well, any debit card that says Visa or MasterCard on it guess what you, where else you can go with it to walmart to get your xbox oh oops. you um or or a variety of other places you know you can go to the apple store to get whatever garbage apple apple offers or you can go to at&t and get a nice phone so on top of that you're leaving a on paper top trail. of that on top of that Parents can get parent loans for their kids for school. Oh, guess what? Sometimes parents and some of the kids do. They get newer car, they get a car or clothes or whatever. So there's um, so the oversight and controls that happened um, when I went to school don't exist anymore. Yes, Tennessee has free. Um, uh, first two years of community college 
Um, but how is that funded? Are you asking? Anybody something? know how that's funded? Through what? Payers, I assume. Through what? Taxpayers. Kinda the lottery. Um, through the lottery. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, so it is funded through the lottery. <clears throat> because most poor um, people are the ones buying lottery tickets because if you're rich you're not buying lottery tickets because you don't need it but if you're poor you're wanting to get your chance so literally poor people are funding this edu people's education so it's like a tax on poor people to send kids through college that is insane wealthy people buy right. stuff and government if they want risk if yeah. if if a private institution wants to run a lottery and wants to fund education fine Government shouldn't be doing that. Um, so you're in favor of the lottery scholarship? Um, if a private company started a lottery and they wanted to take some of their proceeds and uh, fund schools, that would I, I still wouldn't. I probably wouldn't let my kids use that as a means of going to school, but. I'm, that bothers me less than a government running a lottery. But so here's what happens when you start um, doing massive student loan debt. Well, also, if you go long enough um, after your student loan, uh, after you have to start paying your student loan, at some point, I, I think it's 10 years out, whatever existing student loans you have left, those get forgiven. What? No. Um, my mom did that. My mom did that. What? What? She uh, paid what was her student? What was her yeah, criminal government employed? What? Her her major was criminal justice, and she and she went long enough on. I mean, she paid her student loans down long enough, but after ten years, and I think the catch was. You have to make uh, consistent, regular, every month, make your payment. And after 10 years, that gets the balance gets forgiven. Yeah, and you have to work within, uh, within your field. And it's only good for uh, healthcare no, fields. she never worked inside the field. She never worked inside the field. Okay, my, my understanding she is that there is like, that's because a lot of colleges tell you that, you know, it can be forgiven after 10 years or whatever. But uh, my understanding, because I heard that too when I uh, signed up for my student loans, and uh, but mm -hmm. my understanding is that like three percent of people actually get to do that. So it's kind of uh, it's it's one of those things where it's very very rare, and I'm and I'm happy that she did. But for some reason, I, and I don't remember all the uh, the the reasoning behind it, but a lot of those promises uh, never actually go through for a lot it of was, it's it's you can't miss a payment you can't you have to make every payment has to be on time the amount you pay every month has to be the amount at minimum at minimum the amount that you pay every month has to be the amount you agree to pay but if you pay that minimum amount every month on time for 10 years then the balance of the debt at the end of 10 years gets wiped out let me go ahead and tell you, read from the site. To qualify for PSLF, and, I'm sorry. 
And my right? mom never worked a day in the field, ever. Okay. Go ahead. To qualify for PSLF, you must be employed by a U.S. federal, state, local, or tribal government or not-for-profit organization, which is probably where she worked. Um, so no. federal, cert, well, well. She worked for no, no, no. She worked for she worked for um, a private hospital in their childcare department. Yeah, healthcare. Probably. That's what I was saying. Yeah, but I'm going to say probably. It was a. It was a private for-profit hospital system. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly under a non-profit. No, it was for-profit. Okay, well, so it so, was not a not-for-profit. So here's why that becomes very difficult because your your mother was did a great job. She stayed in a field that was qualified her, and she never missed a payment. But a lot of people in ten years, that's a tough thing to do to never miss a payment or never be late on a payment or, and to always work in, what if you work in the healthcare field, but you, um, it's not for you, you know, what if you can't take care of babies on the ward, you know, the, the maternity ward or whatever, and it's not. No, 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 she, she worked in. I'm not saying her, I'm saying what if, what if somebody who's in that field that went to college, went to get educated in a certain specific field and one of those qualifying ones, like healthcare and I think law enforcement, uh, government, uh, and but they weren't able to stay in their field. They didn't want to stay in their field, and they changed fields, and then they don't qualify for that, uh, you know, forgiveness program. So, <clears throat> but but it is a it is a good point. What so, uh, yeah. So try. I'm just trying to tie tie the knot. So go ahead with your thought, though. There's one last thing. Um, when you when when something gets subsidized, when a product or service is subsidized, um, whoever owns that product or service sees the subsidy, and then they figure out, oh, we can charge more, and we can make more money. So, so you subsidize education through government loans and grants, um, and you do massive student loan debt forgiveness. When that becomes the norm, and it, as soon as it happens the first time, it will become the norm, then schools will see, oh, we'll raise our rates, we'll solve some of our financial problems, government will take care of it, or somebody else will take care of it, and, and we can have more money. And some of those schools are schools that probably should shut down because they're so poorly managed um, that they're not doing anybody any favors by existing. Some of those schools will will take the win and do good things with it. Um, but the more you subsidize it, the more expensive it's going to get. Yeah, and I and think student loan debt forgiveness is a form of subsidizing it. I think we totally agree on that. My my broader concern or issue whatever is that what it's doing to the or what the damage that we've already done you know we've already done a lot of damage so how can we uh you know come back from the edge because um i really think what we're just at a point where we're we're pretty unsustainable you know and and i've been thinking about this a lot uh in the context of uh, the next episode that we'll we'll be doing and, and talking about globalization 
and how, you know, we're, we're in this like late stage of sort of like the cycle that we're in as a society. And if we don't do some things to back off of the edge in a pretty dramatic way, then, you know, it's, 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 we're in a really, really bad spot. You know, when, you know, like Matt said, if we, we, we're not, because you can't get a home because you have all this debt until you're later in life. So you're not having kids. So the population is shrinking and then we're very anti-immigration. So now we're not, uh, you know, bringing in workers. We're not doing anything. Um, we're not doing any, uh, you know, manufacturing here for a lot of jobs. I mean, like we're, we're, we're in a really bad, bad spot. I mean, like, it's like setting up for a, like a pretty bad, I wouldn't say a perfect storm. I would say a very imperfect storm. It's a lot of things stacking up. And I think that this is one piece of the puzzle that is very, <clears throat> I think it's a dangerous place that we're in. And like I said, I would like to take the subsidies out of uh, college going forward. But what do we do about this massive extensive student loan debt that we already have? Because I just don't know that everybody is going to be you know, from what I've seen is like 4% of people qualify for this debt forgiveness after 10 years. That's a pretty low amount of people that probably signed up for, you know, a lot of student loan thinking that they were going to be able to do that. Because um, mm -hmm. life doesn't always go like you want. Life doesn't go, you know, in a linear path. And you don't always get into the field right. that you want to be in. And it doesn't always, you know, work out for you. So, um, so yeah, so we fix that for the next generation, but we also have to fix it for the current generation. And, you know, we've talked about the housing crisis uh, on another episode previous to this, you know, way back now, um, feels like, and <clears throat> your part of the housing crisis is, um, you know, we've sort of sped that up now with the Fed increasing these rates. I think I saw today that uh, currently, what is it, April, well, it's the day before um, <clears throat> Easter, so it's April 16th, and the mortgage interest rates are like 5%, which when I refinanced this house back in October, so like six months ago, it was like three and a half still. So you're talking about a crazy jump in the amount. You know, 5% five, 5 is still not crazy, but you're talking about in that short amount of time, <laughs> the average, you know, that's going to discourage a lot of buyers from actually buying people refinancing is going to stop slow down it's going to uh you know it's going to slowly chug to a halt you know we've already um we're seeing uh you know the planting season in ukraine and russia is being delayed the price of oils uh oil and gas oils vegetable oil things like that grains all these things aren't getting aren't going to be going to market in the fall and if you're talking about now the housing <laughs> crash, the um, famines around the world, and our people in the United States can't even afford, you know, basics, and you have debt, you know, if you can't afford the basics, you just cut your lifestyle back. But if you've got all this debt, it those debt payments still keep coming, you know, and it's going to set up for you know, a very, very bad situation. So I, I look at this sort of like thing, I think I've gotten, uh, not changed my position a little bit, but sort of like looking at it through a different lens, it becomes like, you know, not just like, well, we shouldn't pay for these other people's student loan debts because they're, you know, like I had to pay for mine. So the dadgum, you got to pay for yours, you know? And I've kind of like gotten to a point where I'm kind of like, 
ooh, as a society, we're in such a bad spot where, you know, zooming back, I mean, I, there, there's a place for this discussion. So I don't know. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, and it's it's not a it's more rhetorical than anything else. At what point do we say that yes, life's going to do what it's going to do? We can plan for the next five seconds, and all of that go horribly wrong, or the next five or ten years, and none of that work out. Um, at what point do we stop? Um, subsidize, or what point is it okay to say, you know what, you've taken some risks and we all have to take risks and, and that risk didn't pan out the way you wanted it to. And you just, you do have to live with some of those consequences. At what point do we say, everybody's got to take risks. That's the nature of life. And we can't subsidize risk out of the equation because quite honestly we actually need to we need as individuals we need to take risks so let me put it to you like this i punish my kids when they don't obey right when they don't do what they're supposed to do because it's my job to teach them that consequences have actions right so let's say my child messes up really really bad really really bad and did I freeze or something? Everybody's laughing. No, you said consequences have actions. Yes, consequences do. And they have do. Okay, no, actions have consequences. They do. And actions have consequences. I'm trying, I'm trying to teach my children that. So what happens when my child does something that's very, very bad and potentially could set them, you know, let's say they came to me and said, I did such and such and such. And I messed up. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take you down to the police and they're going to put you in juvie for a couple of years because actions have consequences. <laughs> no consequences have actions. life. And you have to learn, you know, you're a young child and you made a stupid decision and you're going to have to learn. And this is what the law says and you're going to have to do it. So I turn my child in and they get out and now they have a criminal record. Now they can't get a job. Now I've destroyed their future you know, to a certain extent because I wanted to teach them the consequences have actions to a child. I feel like, did I say it wrong again? Dadgummit. Yeah, it's just ingrained yeah. at this point. <laughs> so anyway, this is not supposed to be a joke. It's supposed to be a very serious thing. Sorry. I think that we're- but that, there that are parents that- is You- you need to learn, you need to have some sort of, but the consequences have to fit the, the, the crime, but there also has to be, I want, my job as a parent is to teach you how to succeed in life and how to, you, you genuinely came to me and you apologized and you understand the depth of how you messed up. So in grace, I'm going to allow you to not suffer the full extent of the consequences that you would deserve so that you i don't know is this a bad example rachel i think my rules are universal grace is individual would be my answer to that 
I think that if you have a rule that's in place that is in order to teach people to make wise decisions beforehand, um, that if you undermine those rules publicly, <laughs> that you lose what those rules were intended to do. Um, but when I have a child that has royally messed up, like you were saying, and they come to me and they say, you know, look, I've learned, I can't, you know, I, I don't know how to actually deal with the consequences of my actions. Um, that's when I can individually make that judgment call on whether my child has actually learned the lesson or not based off of what I know about that child. So I think that, you know, kind of taking that on a broader scale, I think that you would need to have some guidelines for sure where and times when you can go you know if you meet this criteria you know and you're really in a pickle and you can't pay this back you know then you can come to us and we can see about setting up you know either an individual payment plan lessening the payments you know something like that that can offer that grace but it's on an individual basis. So let me suggest that we privatize, you know, we let banks take the responsibility for, um, you know, these, or this colleges themselves, not even a private bank, the college themselves has to finance these, if they're going to allow students to use debt to pay for their education, rather than paying it up front, then that college has to take that debt on that burden on that risk, so to speak. And that fixes it going forth for the younger siblings, right? But for that older system, that sibling that's still in a pickle, we lower those payments down. Mm -hmm. So it's something that's manageable and then offer, you know, you know, in, in 20 years, you know, this could be paid off. So now they have 20 years of hard labor, you know, to pay off these, you know, gargantuan loans that they did take out and that that was the system at the time. And, but the next generation coming up will have to make payments that are reasonable based on the um, based on the degree that they're getting. So you've leveled, mm -hmm. you've created a situation that's reasonable for the, the current ones that are in that situation that took out $50,000 in debt for basket weaving, which is not a rational decision, you know, or whatever. That's the extreme example, but people don't, people don't, there are a lot of people out there that have just taken on a lot of debt for a reasonable degree, but that was the college that they wanted to go to, you know, it's $50,000 at this private school to get a business degree, you know, but I can only get a business degree. I mean, a job in my town where I want to live and raise my kids is going to pay me 30, $40,000 a year. It's going to take mm -hmm. me a long, long time to pay that off. But the payments okay. on that 50,000 thing are going to take, you know, are going to be gargantuan. You know, if there's some sort of relief for me, to bring that down, you know, then that can help uh, offset the burden. And so, yeah, so that's my solution, sort of, that I came to on the fly. <clears throat> so I want to piggyback on Rachel just a little bit. Um, uh, maybe not. There are 
and I know of a few situations where there are parents that said we have we have offered mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and the behavior hasn't changed and so now we're going to allow for severe mercy and yes you're going to face prison time yes you're going to face jail you're going to go to trial you're going to have to pay for your trial i have um yeah i have friends that with their oldest child they are now they will go to court with their child and be there but they're no longer offering money they're no longer trying to shield the child because shielding the child that kind of mercy has not has not taught the child that oh i'm i've really got to change because this is not going well this is going to go bad for me if i don't fix this behavior pattern um and they are now they have said we will not contribute to your attorney we will not contribute to um uh, any fees any court costs or, or fees like that if you end up going to jail we will not pay any of those um fines that go with it that is entirely all on you now it went to jail and loans did i miss something i'm sorry no it wasn't for student loans it wasn't for student loans okay but it, but you said you you had said it might be time to be done with the episode but a little while ago <laughs> no. you said you sorry. know as a parent i'm going to I'm, you know, if my child comes in and they're repentant and all of that, then I'm going to back off on the consequences. That's not always the case that happens. And that's why Rachel's absolutely right that 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 mercy and that grace has to be individual right. and not blanket. Because there are situations where the most merciful thing you can do is let them feel the full blunt force trauma of the consequences of the actions they've taken. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. not easy. It's not pleasant. It will tear you apart as a parent. And my friends, it is tearing them apart. But Rachel's absolutely right. You set the rules for how things go, and that's how it goes for everybody. And then you you make space for mercy when it for you make space for mercy when it's necessary, when it makes sense. But sometimes severe mercy, facing the full blunt force trauma of the consequences of your actions, is the appropriate mercy, yeah. is the appropriate grace. I, I guess I just, the only reason and, I use that expression, or well, not the only reason, but part of the reason why is because I feel like there is an outside force on on the society and and you know we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes uh, with just the society in as a whole as a macro you know position is threatened by outside forces so if you're talking about this like back into the analogy the family is being threatened by you know outside forces and you're talking about locking up your child to hold them accountable you know which <clears throat> you know again you know, there might be situations where that is, you know, is warranted for let them to feel that blunt force time, I mean, blunt force trauma of the punishment. But then also, I don't know that, you know, it is a case by case situation. 
but I don't know that this is the case. You know, I guess that's what I'm, I'm debating. And that's the, you know, the, the part of it that I'm trying to cycle or to get out here is, is this possibly a case where we would be damaging uh, all of us by letting, you know, a generation, so to speak, and even a, a generation to come, you know, coming into this, because, you know, even though we put forth the solutions, you know, by letting the colleges take the risk, that isn't a current policy, you know, there's nobody talking about this, you know, in, in the political arena, it's just us with this, you know, you know, concept here, but so, so I, I don't think that you take away those consequences without fixing the underlying issue, you know, you don't write off all this debt without fixing the, you know, without fixing the reason why people are going into debt, you can't do one without the other, but you, and you have to do that one first, you know, so, so anyway, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, let's let's give everybody parting thoughts. This has been a long episode, um, I believe. I don't know. We <laughs> had to uh, cut. Uh, we're gonna have to cut a little bit part of it out. Um, and I wrote another question in here that I'm not even gonna, you know, as I, we were thinking about, you know, that I'm not gonna add into it because it's been long. So, um, but yeah. So we'll get some parting thoughts, um, and then we'll just go around starting Matt, uh, Paul, Rebecca, and then uh, Rachel. And uh, <clears throat> parting thoughts on this episode. You can uh, you can either pass or you know give some thoughts as you as we go out. So go ahead, Matt. Any thing you might want to add to this conversation? No, well, I mean I think I've said most of everything that I wanted to say. Uh, education is a very important thing. I, I would say that that's one thing that's not been said is that how important education is to the entirety of society. So miseducation is that much more problematic. Um, and so part of the problem with mis miseducation, as in teaching people things that are not true, as if they were, Great. is factories, bad motivation. You know, it's, it's, um, it is, forces in the market that are alien to it, such as the government's um, being a provider of education instead of um, providing the funds for education, which is totally different. Um, so it, I, I would be okay with having maybe a state level, definitely the, the local level, but maybe a state level redistribution of funding, but that shouldn't have anything to do with um, uh, in the state being able to control the schools. States controlling the school, schools is just a very bad idea. Um, it tends to cause poisoning in the well. So that would be my parting one addition to what I've said before. And I, uh, I really appreciate, you know, the things that Rebecca and Rachel have said. So. And not Paul. Paul to some degree. <laughs> no, I, I, I think Paul, it's just that it's a very holistic, it's, it's a holistic approach that doesn't allow for anything soon. I agree that there may be in concept a way to make this work, but it would re require an entirely different society to do so. So, yeah. I don't know. At least wise, I don't understand it well enough to implement small changes. So, sure. All right, Paul, parting thoughts? Um, government bad market good <laughs> oh, okay i mean that that's, that's you're always it, welcome here and know. i love you but those words just make me cringe sorry all right oh yeah go ahead no i'm good i'm done okay i thought you're just trying to be funny and 
far out. All right, Rebecca, parting <laughs> thoughts. Um, one, your hand is going through a light bulb. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> I think, um, yeah, this, this one was a little harder for me to feel, uh, as passionate about, except for, you know, describing the distress in the classroom sometimes. Um, but, <laughs> but I think, um, you know, in the last episode, we talked a lot about how do we change things for the better? How, how do we um, go about implementing those smaller changes that can make a big impact? And one of the things that just keeps coming up is like, is the apprenticeship um, element. And I think that that using apprenticeships more widely for so many more professions is just a good move across oh. the board. If for no other reason that we have so many people that are tactile learners that learn better doing it. And that's always been a struggle for the classroom has been getting those tactile learners to be able to learn in a tactile way. And, you know, they're not saying that it can't be done. It certainly can be done and it is being done, but it is, it is a harder thing to implement. It is much easier to reach the kids that can just read the information or hear the information and learn the information. Um, that's, kind of how our schools, you know, if everybody learned that way, things would be much easier. Um, so, you know, it, not necessarily in an elementary level, but even middle school and high school and college, putting more um, apprenticeship options. Um, this is something that Josiah and I have talked about, um, you know, hopefully eventually we'll be able to homeschool our kids that we don't have yet. Um, and having them work on projects and use math to help them build things using um, like actually learning scientific principles by doing experiments um, and just making sure that we are teaching in, in a more holistic way, in a way that reaches um, your different types of learners. Um, so that's something I just wanted to throw in there. If someone listens to this one and didn't listen to the last one, <laughs> that's my plug for go back and listen to the other one. I feel like we solved a lot of the world's problems in that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Rachel, any parting thoughts here? Um, yeah, I think that I'm agreeing a lot with Rebecca in that the last episode was so good and covered so many things. And I don't know, maybe when I go back and watch this episode, I'll understand what happened a little bit better because I'm still sitting here going, what did we even talk about? Um, <laughs> I know it was good. We talked about a lot, but, um, yeah, um, one of the things that um, goes to 
kind of those small solutions or, you know, small changes that can um, kind of improve on things is something that Leia and I were bouncing around. We were watching the tail end of the first episode um, this morning and um, she was saying, and, and yeah, I think that it's a brilliant idea is, you know, if you had like introduction to in high school, talk specifically about high school because that's what she's in, um, like introduction to the different topics um, rather than just, you know, letting somebody choose, well, do I want to do trigonometry or whatever? Because you guys were talking about that at the time and I, I absolutely loved the way I were um, discussing it was um, going, you know, well, what if you did a course that ex gave them the exposure to the topic and an introduction to it? And also as part of that introduction to the topic, you had a presentation on um, what it was used for um, in real life, what career paths you could actually take with this. Because I think that a lot of times in you know high school, you get the whole what am I even going to use this for? Um, you know, how does this apply to real life? And being able to present that in an introduction where you have an introduction to every topic that is a requirement so that they get exposure to all those different topics, but then actually going into the full-on class, have those actually as elective and, you know, being more of a picking what is actually interesting after somebody's been exposed to it enough to understand what it is that they're you know whether they like it or not and yeah i think that that thought may not make a whole lot of sense if somebody has not watched the previous episode um so second plug go back and watch you know the first <laughs> um episode on education because it was it was fantastic um and yeah lots of kind of thoughts and stuff that came up as I was watching it to you know oh well you could do this you know um so I wish we'd gotten a little bit more into that but I'm glad that you know we did cover what we did um and yeah, was there anything else I was supposed to have final thoughts on? Because I took that and just rabbit trailed with it. Oh yeah, that's that's great. Um, <laughs> I I I like that. I think that you know, with the invention of YouTube, there's a lot of videos out there. If like, okay, why do I? You know, at parents can like with Chloe. If she asked me why should I learn trigonometry, I pull up a YouTube video. This is what trigonometry is about. <laughs> this is the value of it. Oh, I want to join the uh, you know the military or the Peace Corps, or I'm thinking about being a firefighter or whatever. Okay, this is what firefighters do. Like you know, oh, I want to be you know in the medical field. Okay, this is what a doctor does. Well, this is what this type of doctor does. This is what you know whatever. What is being a uh, she wants to work with animals? What does a uh, vet tech actually do? What does a veterinarian actually do? What's a day in the life of? There's all these videos for all these different things that you can do, and so I think that that's one thing that I don't know that there's a, a lot of uh <clears throat> parents that really know that there's all these resources out there um that you can do that you know we need a little bit more in depth than that 
to mm -hmm. actually where you're where you're actually kind of getting the first two weeks because um, I don't know about like public school curriculums but homeschool curriculums the first two weeks typically of any subject that you do is very much an introduction and starting it out and yeah. just to that point of where you've gotten that much exposure you get a pretty good handle on whether this is something that you're interested in and you might want to keep on going with mm -hmm. yeah um well yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think that there probably should be something and probably done by educators, um, specifically, uh, you know, maybe colleges on what this field is about, you know, and, and boiling it down, because I feel like you could make a very good, uh, with the right teacher, you know, you could probably make an hour long video that introduces people to a pretty good concept of what a course is about and what you could do with this knowledge. And, you know, and that would be good enough to tease it out. Uh, but but that's just my first thoughts on it. You know, I might think about it a little bit more and you know, come up with something different because that has happened with a lot of these episodes. I tell you what, we get into it and then I start watching another video or something or thinking about it a little more deeply. And I'm like, man, you know what I said? I don't necessarily agree with some of it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but that's okay. I think that's the point of this conversation because it really uh, is a launch point. So after I edit all this, it's probably going to be about two more hours on education part two. Um, and the first one was two and a half hours. So if you have hung with us for five hours, <laughs> five plus hours for all of this, first yeah. of all, you need to get some sort of award. You need to follow <laughs> the Johnny Random Show or leave a little comment. Like I watched all of this. Okay. So if you're seeing this, I need you to type in the comment section. I watched all of this um, and I'm going to uh, I don't know, make some sort of award and you can print it off, put it on your wall that you want. So, um, yeah, NFT, man, make an NFT. NFT, yeah. it's not a bad buy idea. A NFT, or I can sell you a little NFT or give you, I don't know exactly uh, how we do that, but yeah, that you, uh, that you hung with us. So, uh, it has been a fantastic conversation. I, I've really enjoyed this one. Um, I feel like this is. Uh, one of the easiest conversations for all of us because of our backgrounds. So thank you for watching the Johnny Random Show today. Like and subscribe, and we will see you on the next episode. All right. All right. See y'all later. I got a dog that's definitely uh, lonely. Oliver has been over here just farting for the last 30 minutes. It's so bad in here. Oh. I okay. have Ethan trying to tell me to turn the lights off. So yeah, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go ahead. It you smell turn like stuff. pine. And I'm very, <laughs> yeah, we're just concerned. Yeah. <laughs> it's 11.15 in Easter time. I'm ready to go to bed. There's exactly. a lot to edit too. So I will see y'all later. Oh, man. Take care.